stirring for Andrew and, and Amy. And so I've asked Andrew if he would join us this morning and, and kind of invite us into the story and share with us what, what God's been doing and what's going on. So, yeah, it should be. Did you hit a button? You got him? Hello. There we go. We got it. Okay. So a couple months ago, I was driving. I had to go get the church van. It broke down in Nashville. This kind of things happen. And so, and so I just spent that whole day just really kind of having a hard week and just spent like the whole time just praying, just kind of one of those cry out days to God, what's, what's going on and how you doing? And, um, just really spending time in prayer and, um, when I got back, I checked my email and there was this opportunity that popped up. And when I saw it, I was like, hmm, interesting. And, uh, but didn't really pursue it right away. And um, kind of find out a few days later, my mentor from, from Texas had recommended me for a position that they had sought him out. And he, uh, he had turned it down because he'd already had a new job. And so he recommended me since I live in the same community as this church. And so even though he's in Texas. And so it was kind of interesting how that all went down. And then I came into staff meeting and actually Gary knows Chris, the pastor there. And he had, Chris had talked to Gary to make sure it was okay. They talked to me. <laughs> and so it was just interesting how God kind of had, had worked these things out. And then I was like, you know what, I'll just enter these conversations and just see how things go. And, um, began conversations with, uh, the person who would be my supervisor and different pastors at the church. And I just really feel like God was in it in all these conversations and uh, not something that I expected or was looking for, but just God kind of dropped it in my lap. And I know that at some point my next season, I've been, I've been at grace for 21 years. It's hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and so the, the, the position is a small groups director um, at Southside church, which is not something that I'd ever consider or thought about, but God just kind of boom, there it is. And so through the conversations, through some of the pastors and different people, it just really feels like it's, it's where God's leading me to, to do the next season. And I'm super excited about it, but also just the, just the loss of Grace Church, because when you've been in the same place so long and just the, I mean, it's been, uh, I was thinking the other day, it's been, uh, there's been three, you know, seven year cycles of youth come through that since I've been here. Wow. And now there's a new group coming up and I'm, and I'm, there's, there's so much lost thing about not getting to be with those, those people. And there's, there's some new leaders that have come over in this kind of next generation that I'm so excited about. But so it's like, God, are you sure this is the timing? But it's, it just seems so clear that it's, it's the right timing, even though there's going to be a lot of loss to yeah. step away. So it's, it's definitely bittersweet. Um, but I'm excited about the challenge. I think it's going to be really good for my next season and what God's been preparing us for. Mm. Um, but we love Grace Church and it's, um, it's going to be hard <laughs> to step away. And hard for um, us in, in so many levels. So, yeah. so when, um, Andrew, first of all, it's been, uh, I cannot communicate in, in, in these stronger words how much I've grown, how much I do love and respect you. And uh, it's been a unique, not many pastors have the privilege of working with the same student pastor for over 16 years. You know, it's been a wonderful privilege. And I, as I've watched you go through this process over these next, next last couple of months, one of the wonderful gifts that, that we've enjoyed because of our friendship and our working relationship, um, Andrew didn't have to do this thing hidden. It was out in the open. 
we got to share this journey together and talk openly about what is good for you and what is God doing and what's God doing at Grace. And, and at, at, for, you know, I've gone through a couple of these transitions and a couple of them I've done really poorly, a um, couple a little bit better than others, but uh, it's an awkward place for a pastor to open their hearts to uh, another place because especially after you've been in a place as long as Andrew has, quite, quite candidly, you feel a lot of feelings of, of being unfaithful. You know, and, and the conversation can even feel like, hmm, this feels a lot like I'm having an affair, you know? <laughs> but it's not like that, you know? It's, uh, and the wonderful gift, the, under, the wonderful gift has been, it's not been that at all. We've had just this wonderful, open, peaceful conversation, just exploring what God is doing and trusting what God is doing. So I, I want you to know that I, I could not be any more happy for you and really proud of you. Um, you're, you're leaving a rich, rich legacy here. You know, I was, I was thinking the other day of, of, of the hundreds of families that you've touched, you know, over those, those, those three cycles and, and what's going on. And um, so what does it look like for you, a uh, time frame? How much longer? When will you begin your new role at Southside? And, uh, and, well, uh, thankfully, that we're, we're local, so that we're not moving far away. So that's nice. That's a, that's a yeah. blessing. Um, but we're uh, kind of doing kind of a transition. I'll start there in end of November. And then kind of by December-ish, I'll be um, maybe be at a couple of things here. But by the end of December, definitely be stepping out. So it's, um, it sounds quick for me because I've been here so long. But that's, you know, that's, that'll be a couple of months here. And so I know we have several youth events and things going on in the next couple of months, but um, I'll be kind of helping with that. We have a retreat and some of those kind of things. But um, yeah. so it is, uh, and I know when I, was, when I was in eighth grade, my student pastor left our church. I remember how angry I was. And so I'm sorry <laughs> if you feel that way because um, I didn't understand and I, I loved him deeply. But I just hope that, um, just know that I, I care about you and that I love Grace Church and that's, that's, that's going to be the hard thing for me yeah, to step away. Yeah. Um, I love everybody here. So, Well, yeah. it will be a, a, a time of grieving and loss, but how cool that you're in the community. How cool that you and Amy get to stay here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Amy's been building her business here and the relationships here. I just think it's a wonderful celebration mm -hmm. that you're not going far, yeah. you know, and, and even, even with... Uh, your, your relationship with Southside, I, th I find it really sweet that we've got this friendship with Southside. Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel like, right. how dare you take Andrew from us? That we've, we've, we've together birthed something that's more about our, the kingdom than either of our churches, and this feels like a, we're, we're, we're cooperating together and we're, we're sharing you yeah. with them, and I think it's a wonderful expression of the kingdom, so it's all good. It's all wonderfully good, and... Uh, and for the Grace family, and I'll talk more about this next week. This is really Andrew's moment. I, I think it's good. God's going to be doing good things for us, you know, in the transition. That what, what's good for Andrew and Amy is, is going to also be good for us. We don't see that yet, you know, but it will be. So we're just really grateful for you. And, and we will have, so that you know, we're planning uh, a few weeks from now, we're planning a special uh, thank you for Andrew. And so we'll take time to honor him and celebrate him and give you more opportunity to do that in a couple of weeks. But, but we thought it was good to get the story out because it's beginning to kind of leak out and we wanted Andrew to tell his story so that uh, the actual reality of what's going on is what's being told. And so I appreciate you taking us some time this early on to share it so we can all now share it with you and love on you and encourage you. Um, can I share just one thing? I, when I was had my sabbatical time off, um, 
there was something that God kind of taught me and I had to, I had to let go of a lot of things for God to actually help me grow and to challenge me. So there was one day where I went on a hike and I had to write down different things that I had, a lot of things that were lost in my life. And this was like through COVID and relationships and just hardships. And so God had me write those things down. And then I went on a walk and just got, I just ripped it up. And I was in Colorado in the snow. And so it went into the snow. But after that day, it was amazing just to, just to, just to sense how it was like, now I can move forward. Like when you let go of loss. And so for me, all the things that I had gone through during COVID and that season, it was such a, such a release. Now I can move forward. And so for me, it's like, that was, that was super healthy for me. And so I just, this is going to be hard to let go of Grace Church for me and just relationships, but I know that God has got someone awesome. Like I was 28 when I came here, sorry to believe. And so uh, a lot did of time you, has did passed. You have, did you have, did you have <laughs> I did have when, hair. Did you have hair when you came here? I did. So I'll have, I'll have to find a picture of that when I first came. But, um, but I know God's got a person, people to, yeah. to, to step in next that's going to be for the next season, season for grace. So I'm, I'm excited for that too. Well, so, yeah. Well, would you join me in a word of prayer? I'd like to pray, pray for Andrew and Amy. Uh, Father, first of all, and, and most importantly, thank you. Thank you for 21 years of rich investment here at Grace Church in this community. Um, such, a, such a legacy of faithfulness and perseverance and consistency and stability. And Father, as, as the Grace Church family, although many of you are new, we've had this wonderful privilege of being on the receiving end of that faithfulness for, for these two decades. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that Andrew and Amy's fingerprints are all over this place, all over our lives, and that memory will remain with us. That doesn't change. And Father, we also want to thank you for your direction in their lives right now. I was thinking while we were singing the song, Waymaker, what an appropriate song, that you're always working. Uh, sometimes you surprise us in the ways you're working. Uh, as Andrew experienced with a phone call uh, driving home from Chattanooga, and you step into our lives in ways that we, we can trust. And uh, we're so thankful for that leadership and that direction and grateful that you've brought Andrew and Amy to this place of peaceful settledness, that this is a time for a transition, and this is the place for a transition. And Father, as they begin over these next couple of weeks to ready themselves for it, our prayer for them is that you would bless them with your favor, that Southside would be richly blessed because of them and through them, and, and that this transition, uh, in this transition, Andrew will flourish in this next season of life and ministry. So, Father, and over these next couple of weeks, we'll be telling a lot of Andrew's stories and celebrating, but this morning, we're just grateful for the ways that you work in our lives in so many ways, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to thank you for your leadership, Gary. That's your part of the reason where I've been here for this tenure mm. is getting to work with you, so thank you, Gary. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're welcome. Well, would you all join me in just affirming and thanking, uh, thanking Andrew?
Now it's an interesting transition. <laughs> we'll talk next week a little bit. It was important for this moment this, mo- this moment this morning to be about Andrew. Next week we'll talk about what God's doing at Grace. And we'll spend some more time just kind of framing the bigger pers- perspective of that. But, but now I want to jump back into our series. Um, restoring our soul by restoring Sabbath. You know, one of the things that I've been paying attention to over the past couple of weeks as we've begun this, this series, this study around Sabbath, and there are so many obstacles to you practicing Sabbath. I mean, the, the, the levels of resistance is just enormous. It's, it's, it's like rarely, you know, it seems like every week I'm having these conversations. Gary, I love what we're talking about, but it's just not practical. So many things that we are navigating that we have internal resistance to. And, and, and I'm wanting to just be very honest in naming that. I have my resistances. And, 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 and we're going to talk some more about that. But, but here's what I also know and what I, what I am paying a lot of attention to in, in this whole conversation as we invite you into Sabbath. I think most of us, maybe all of us, we, we share a longing for something. And we, we share a longing for a, a deeper sense of connection and closeness with God. We recognize that our world, the world we live in, is stealing something from us. We feel it, don't we? There's a loss. Andrew was talking about loss. There's a sense of loss. We, we long for a sense of closeness and connection to God. And, and we, what we, we also long for is that that connection, that closeness for God creates a sense of peace and restfulness that we carry into our week with us. That whether we're entering the workplace or we're parenting our kids, whatever environment we find ourselves in, that we, we come into our life, our work, our play, our relationships, our family messes, whatever it is, we come into all of that with the peacefulness of God's presence with us. We long for that, don't we? That's what deep inside is something that we, we all desire. And yet we're so aware of all the things that surround us uh, that cause us to feel like this is just, boy, it's, it's an impossible dream. So I want you to know that I'm very aware of that. And we keep naming that and acknowledging that. And as we talk about Sabbath, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for steps of how do we create space, you know, for God. And, and we've been talking about two primary, primary, two primary obstacles. Um, one we're going to look at next week, and that's our cultural obstacles. Our culture screams around us. And, and we're gonna, I'm going to introduce something to you next week that maybe you've never thought about before with Sabbath. And we're going to wrestle with um, how much we as followers of Christ even have... have bought into the idols of our culture. And we'll, we'll look at that. But where we began, the obstacles for some is a biblical resistance and, and there's been confusion around the scriptures about the place and the practice of Sabbath. And so it was important for us to begin by just going back and, and taking a look at this thread in the scriptures as we, as we wrestle with, with Sabbath and the practice of Sabbath because we, we want all that we do to be grounded, firmly grounded 
in the Word of God. And so we began in the Old Testament, and we did a survey, obviously, of uh, in a week, we looked at four critical key passages in the Old Testament. And, and then last week, we, we, we looked at a couple of key passages in the Gospels in Jesus' perspective and, and what Jesus was doing with Sabbath. And this morning, we're going to look at a couple of new, later New Testament passages. These are really important passages because in some ways, it's these passages that have led some to question whether the practice of Sabbath even has a place in our lives today. And so it's important that we talk about these passages. But as we, as we and you can turn your Bibles to Colossians 2, but the last thing I want to say by, by introduction, in the midst of all the resistances, in the midst of all the obstacles and sometimes the tension we feel with the ideal of what the Scripture calls us to, and the struggle we have of living up to that and into that, here's what I want to I keep before you and keep reminding you. As kingdom people, as people who are under the reign of Jesus, as kingdom people, we imagine all the ways our lives can portray the lordship of Christ, and, and, and that's, that is our, 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 our chief desire, is how do we live under the reign of Christ in a way that is gracious and, and refreshing? And, and my invitation to you is that Sabbath is one of the ways that we honor and enjoy the gracious reign of God who created us. And it's, it's living well as kingdom people under the reign of God. And let's not reduce it to this, this kind of sterile activity. It, it's a part of this larger story of, of the kingdom reign of God and, and how we're aligning our lives not to the culture, but to the kingdom. And we keep dreaming about that. We keep imagining that. We keep longing for that. That's who we are. So with that said, let's take a look at Colossians 2. Really important passage. Verses 16 and 17. Paul writes this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that, that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, as is always the case, whenever we drop into a couple of verses, the setting is, is important in understanding the story. So I want to take a few moments and help us to appreciate the, 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 the narrative of what caused Paul to say this and what was going on because it will illuminate um, these verses for us. Um, Paul wrote some foundational things. When you go back into chapter 2 earlier, before these verses, Paul was writing some foundational things. So, for example, in verses 6 and 7, uh, Paul wrote this. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Um, Paul says that is just what we long for, is for our lives to become more deeply rooted in Christ. And that we're, in, we're, we're growing and being strengthened by Jesus. And what we're seeing in our lives is, is overflowing gratitude. And, and then he says in verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Here's what Paul is saying. We have everything we need in Christ. He is totally adequate. He is totally sufficient. And as followers of Jesus, we have the fullness of Christ resident within us uh, via the Spirit. Uh, That's just rich, rich theology. And he begins to unpack that in Colossians 2 and 3. And and as you move to chapter 3 in Colossians, Paul is going to elaborate very clearly on what spiritual maturity actually is, but he begins by talking about what it is not, which I find telling. And the reason it's it's telling is because Paul appreciated something. Paul appreciated how easy it is for the appearance of maturity to pass for what is authentic. Let me say that again. Paul got it. He understood, especially in religious culture, how easy it is for the appearance of maturity to pass for what is authentic. And he's going to live that out for us. And there's two traps we fall into as Christians. And and each each of these traps reflects a pseudo-spirituality. It appears to be something, but it's not. And yet it, it can be widely accepted as, as spiritual, and yet it's, it's not. Each has the appearance of maturity, but it's not the real thing. And one of those traps is the trap of legalism. And we'll talk about that one today. The other trap is the trap of asceticism, and that's where he ends in chapter 2, and that'll be for another time. Uh, we'll take a look at that at a later time. So now, a little bit of that background Paul says in verse 16, therefore do not let anyone judge you. And then he by what you eat, drink, with regard to a festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath. So here's, here's more of the immediate story. There were a group of Christians who were a part of the Colossian church. And they measured spiritual, the spiritual maturity of folks by how consistently they observed or didn't observe certain practices. Um, they expected in, in very strong terms that people not eat or drink certain things. And of course, it has a lot of roots to the Old Testament. And, and, and they expected that people arrange their lives around various special days on the Jewish calendar. Uh, religious festivals that Paul describes were the annual, the large annual festivals that, that marked major times in the Jewish calendar. The new moon represents the monthly celebrations, and of course, Sabbath uh, represented the weekly practice. And so it was a sweeping way of describing the ways, the practices that were such a part of Jewish life um, defined life. Uh, today, it might sound something like this, and it may even sound silly. Um, but it might sound, the only people who can be spiritually mature are, are vegetarians or vegans who never eat meat, never drink wine, who carefully plan their lives and family calendars around Advent and Lent. They would never plan a trip on Advent or Lent. They're going to be in church around Advent or Lent. And they faithfully practice Sabbath every week. And if you do those things, you're in. You don't do those things, we've got problems. Now, our various lists, and even though Paul names some of the lists that were real to the people of that day, you and I have our own lists, don't we? 
And our various lists, of course, of what people should or shouldn't do, should or shouldn't observe, changes with the church, it changes with culture, it changes with community, it changes with location and time. It just changes wherever we are. And here's what I've noticed in, as I've traveled around the world and lived in churches in different communities, Christians can be very creative with our lists. Uh, we are not at a loss uh, with our lists. And, and so Paul doesn't mince words. He says, don't let any, do not let anyone judge you. Now, this is clearly important to Paul. And the strength of, of Paul's words is closely connected to what he wrote just before this in verses 11 through 15. And I'm going to read it to you, but I'm going to read it to you from the message by Eugene Peterson. So you just sit and listen for a moment because he captures it so well and he picks up the natural application of what Paul is driving towards. Entering into the fullness of life with Christ, what we talked about in verses 6 and 7, is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of keeping a long list of laws. No, and this is, this is critical. No, you're already in. You're insiders. Not through some, some secretive in initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. See, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God, and God brought you alive. Right along with Christ. Think of it. All your sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled, nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That's already been done. See, the cross exposed the futility of trying to please God by religious practice or behavior. Whatever's on your list, the cross exposed the futility of that. Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. And so our list of practices, no matter how spiritual they appear, are powerless to change us. Um, only Christ, only Christ can change us. And his power has already begun that. And so anytime we begin to erect a list of practices and infuse into them some magical sense that they change us, we're mistaken. Um, so judging the spiritual maturity of people by whatever lists of acceptable practices completely undermines the work of the cross and undermines the life of Christ that we have. Do you see that? That's what Paul's talking about now. That's Paul's concern here. He goes on in verse 17. See, these things, whatever are on the lists, are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All the prescribed rules, rituals, routines found in the Old Testament pointed to something that was to come in the future, actually pointed to someone who was to come in the future. And that was Christ. They were all pointing towards something. And what the Old Testament foreshadowed 
what, what the Old Testament foreshadowed, Christ fulfilled. And that's kind of the sweet spot of the book of Colossians. And, and so no wonder, no wonder Paul reacted so strongly. See, once we have Christ with the forgiveness, the freedom, and the fullness that Jesus offers us, we no longer need to live in the shadows. The substance of our life is in Christ. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And and so Paul reacts strongly to any suggestion that practices, whatever they may be, are what change us. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. See, Paul is exposing the problem of legalism. And it's interesting, this thing, legalism, is we never think it's us. Somebody else is always the legalist. It's always someone else. Um, The suggestion, and it's rarely stated or acknowledged, that our standing with God or our acceptance into the family of God or that spiritual maturity is somehow connected to our following a prescribed list of practices, including the Sabbath, make us, we're, we're in. But can I, can I say this gently but honestly? We do it all the time. We make judgments about people based upon all kinds of things, don't we? You know, we bump into people, we're having a conversation, we see something, we sense something, we hear something, we know something, and, and we, are all, we just do it all the time. I do it. We all do it all the time. We make judgments of people. And even though the practices of certain things have the appearance of spiritual maturity, Paul says, they're only a shadow. It's not real. Um, you all know, I love Saturday morning Sabbaths. You know, being empty nesters, we have the luxury of, I've just, we have the luxury of Saturday. <laughs> and I love getting up in the morning and having a, a few cups of coffee, sitting outside on our screened-in porch, and I love reading and reflecting and praying and journaling and four or five hours, and I know that's, boy, I, it's just, ooh, it's just, it is so sweet. <laughs> and, and it looks so spiritual. It's only a shadow. See, it's not, it's not what's real. Um, I have too many conversations with people, some of you. I have too many conversations with people who feel bruised, beaten, beaten down, or unsafe in a community of Christians, sometimes here at Grace, because the shadow has become more important than the substance. And and what that looks like is the moment someone has an honest question about something, or they have a difference is shared about how the scriptures are to be understood or someone whose life doesn't measure up to what we believe is appropriate or acceptable for a Christian 
or someone whose story comes from a wildly different place than we're comfortable with. Anytime those things begin to bubble up, our nonverbal and sometimes verbal message says, that's not accepted here. And that is often experienced as you are not accepted here. So Paul says, don't let anyone do that to you. No one should do that to you because of what you have in Christ. No one should judge you. So here's here's the, here's the, the pertinent question. So does this passage, does Colossians 2, teach that the practice of Sabbath has no place in our lives today? Um, Since it's nothing more than a shadow, why waste our time practicing a shadow? Is it even relevant? Is, is Is it teaching that Sabbath has no place? And I don't think it is, no. See, I I draw two conclusions from Colossians 2. The first conclusion is this. The practice of Sabbath. The practice of Sabbath isn't evidence or proof of our standing with Christ or our spiritual maturity. Let's put that to rest. It is not evidence of that. Practicing Sabbath doesn't give proof that you've got this thing going on with Christ that's completely good and special and flourishing. Um... And Paul would condemn Sabbath-keeping as evidence of any of these. And all the, Sabbath, all the Sabbath enthusiasts that I know would fully agree with that. None of us would say practicing Sabbath proves anything about my standing with Christ or my maturity. Sabbath simply points us to the rest we already have in Christ. See, it creates space that is reminding us of what is already ours. Um, Therefore, the practice of Sabbath, like all spiritual disciplines, becomes useful only as a vehicle for deepening our life with Christ. That's the first conclusion. The second conclusion is just as powerful. There is freedom in how we practice Sabbath. And, And let me say, in all fairness, there is even freedom if we practice Sabbath. See, no one is to judge you for how you practice Sabbath. Is it on Friday? Is it on Saturday? Is it on Monday evening? What's it look like for you? No one should judge you in how you design or experience the practice of Sabbath on your personal story. Uh, or, Or how another practices Sabbath. And even if families at Grace choose not to practice Sabbath. We don't judge that either. Because it's a shadow. The fullness is in Christ. You see that? And, and so what Paul is saying, don't cross that line. Don't, don't create something that was never intended to, to be created. See, we're recommending that our entire Grace family consider practicing Sabbath. We're saying, consider it. We think there's value to it but we're not requiring it. We're not setting it up as saying this is going to define spiritually mature people at Grace Church. I'm not saying that. So as as I invite you to consider Sabbath, let's keep our vision clear. And I've said this, I think this is my fourth time saying it now, and I'm going to say it until you're tired of me saying it. 
that's probably true of most things, but that's another, another, another conversation. <laughs> um, the goal isn't Sabbath. The goal is becoming people whose lives are deeply rooted in Christ, strengthened in our faith, and overflowing with gratitude. That's the goal. See, Sabbath just creates a space to allow that to flourish. And boy, we need to hold on to that. Okay, let's look at the second passage. Another important passage. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 4. These are the two passages that whenever I read or talk to people who say, ah, now we're throwing away the Sabbath, these are the two passages people are always looking to. Uh, Hebrews 4 verses 9 through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his, kind of referring back to creation. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. That's an interesting phrase. Work hard to rest. (laughs) It's an interesting play on words. We'll talk about that in a moment. So that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. That's a strong phrase. Now again, we're stepping into a story, and the background's important. If you remember the Old Testament... God had promised an entire generation of Israel the rest of a promised land. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to give you the rest, the richness, the fullness of a promised land. And God began that journey. He miraculously delivered them from Egypt. And they, with miracle after miracle after miracle, and they stood on the threshold of of the promised land. And they sent some spies in the land to explore it. The spies returned, and 10 out of the 12 reported, ah, no, that's kind of impractical and impossible. There's no way we could do that. And they reported how difficult it would be. And they dissuaded the people of Israel from moving forward. And in that moment, the entire community of Israel chose not to trust God's provision and protection. Entering, entering the land, entering into God's rest, it felt too daunting. It was too dangerous. It's often the way it is with following God, isn't it? It's rarely that God points us to something and says, I'm going to take you to a much safer place than you're in today. We're often moving into the uncertainty of what we don't know. And, and, and they chose not to trust God. And as a result, they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And that entire generation would die in the wilderness before Joshua led them into the promised land. Now, against this backdrop, the writer of Hebrew warns us about the cost of not trusting God. Now, it's interesting to me, we often talk about the cost of trusting God. We rarely talk about the cost of not trusting God. Now listen again as I read the first 11 verses from Hebrews 4. Just let it, again, I'm going to read from the message because he just, the paraphrase just brings it to life and it will set up our verses really well for us. For as long then as the promise of resting in him pulls us on to God's goal for us, we need to be careful that we're not disqualified. We receive the same promises as those people in the wilderness. But the promises didn't do them a bit of good because they didn't receive the promises with faith. If we believe, though, 
we'll experience the state of resting. But not if we don't have faith. Remember that God said, exasperated I vowed, they'll never get to where they're going, never be able to sit down and rest. God made that vow. Even though he had finished his part before the foundations of the world, somewhere it's written, God rested the seventh day, having completed his work. But in this other text, he says, they'll, they'll never be able to sit down and rest. So this promise has not yet been fulfilled. Those earlier ones never did get to the place of rest because they were disobedient. So God keeps renewing the promise. He keeps setting the date as today, just as he did in David's psalm, centuries later than the original invitation. Today, please listen, don't turn a deaf ear. And so this is still a live promise. It wasn't canceled at the time of Joshua. Otherwise, God wouldn't keep renewing the appointment today. The promise of arrival and rest is still there for God's people. God himself is at rest, and at the end of the journey, we'll surely rest with God. So let's keep at it and eventually arrive at the place of rest and not drop out through some sort of disobedience. This is the background of Hebrews 4. Now, let me make a, a statement, then I'll make some observations around it. Hebrews 4 is not addressing the practice of Sabbath. Hebrews 4 is talking about a posture of faith and trust. The issue is not how we practice Sabbath. The issue is, do we trust God? Do we trust his promises? Uh, let, let's go back to the NIV translation and uh, just a couple of observations before we wrap this thing up. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Sabbath rest that you see in the, the NIV here, um, the writer actually created a special word. This is the only time this word appears anywhere in the Bible. He created a special word for what he was talking about, Sabbath rest. And what remains for us, uh, using, using the writer's language, what remains for us and what will always remain for us um, in every generation, in every geography, what remains for every follower of Jesus is the same. It's the opportunity to trust God. That's what remains. Every generation, that question is being asked again. Every season, uh, every time, um, that's the invitation that is being asked of Andrew and Amy. Will you trust God? <laughs> it's the invitation that's being asked of us as they transition. Will we trust God? It's the invitation where that's what remains. Will we trust God? And, and trusting God is, is the very nature of our life with God from beginning to end. Uh, just a couple of quick observations. Just give you a theological sweep of something. We enter God's Sabbath rest when we first believed in Jesus and what Jesus offers us. The moment we trusted Christ, we entered into the beginning of Sabbath rest. That's why those great passages uh, like Ephesians uh, 2, uh, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by your works. It's his. 
so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. We're entering into something, and we're inheriting something that it's, we're not doing anything to create. And when we placed our faith in Jesus, we were saying, we trust you, we trust the provision of Jesus, and we're going to embrace the fullness of all that is. That's when it began. But it didn't stop there. We continue to enter Sabbath rest when we live our lives by faith. When we trust God day by day, as parents, in our marriages, in our careers, in, in, in our education, in our choices. The practice of Sabbath simply serves as a picture of trust in Sabbath rest, that, that now that we've entered this Sabbath rest, we're going to live our lives in Sabbath rest by trusting God to provide for us. See, now we're living it. And lastly, we enter our full Sabbath rest after our physical death. It's in the great passage in Romans or Revelations 14. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. That's what we're called to do today. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, and here's the phrase, they will finally rest from their labor. For their deeds will follow them. Um, see, Hebrews, Hebrews 4 wasn't, isn't talking about the practice of Sabbath. Hebrews 4 was written to inspire a life of trust. From the beginning of our faith journey to the end of our faith journey, a resilient, persevering trust. See, now verse 11 doesn't feel so dissonant. Now verse 11 makes sense. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Rest. so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let's be sure we trust God. Don't, don't give up on that. There are consequences to not trusting God. And, and so let's be intentional as people learning to trust God's promises in our lives. And, and what does that even look like today? And I'll close with this. I love, as, as the book of Hebrews unpacks, we, we, come, we come to Hebrews 11 and, and the writer catalogs all these great men and women of, of our faith. All of our role models, all the people that have lived this life well before us. And he ends, he ends chapter 11 with, with these words. They were all commended for their faith. They, they, they were all people who trusted God. And yet none of them received what had been promised. And here's, here's the stirring words. God had planned something better for us. That's, that's you and me, by the way. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. Our lives are carrying on the tradition of trust that defines the people of God, has, has for centuries. And then he goes on to chapter 12. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So, so when Paul says, make every effort, this is how we do it. We, we throw off everything that hinders. We throw off the sin that it so easily entangles and we run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. And here's the phrase. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, Hebrews 4 is not about the practice of Sabbath. But here's where it does connect. Sabbath practice becomes the way that we live deeply enough in our relationship with Christ that we don't grow weary and lose heart. That our faith is resilient. That our faith is persevering. And there's nothing we face, nothing we face that moves us off course in our desire to finish this race well and to live in Sabbath rest until we enjoy our final Sabbath rest. Well, let's pray. Father, thanks for how clear your word is to us and may we absorb it fully and deeply. Father, we are profoundly grateful for all the fullness of everything we, we enjoy in Christ. And as we talk about this wonderful practice of Sabbath, may we never confuse it with the sufficiency of what we have in Jesus. But Father, may we become people with a resilient, persevering, vibrant trust in God's provision. And may we carry our baton well for this leg of the race and carry on this rich tradition of trust as the people of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you have grown weary, if you have lost heart, Let's stand together and just sing the song of invitation to come before the Lord with those longings that we may deepen our faith and deepen our trust.
continue to just stand in a posture to receive this benediction over you and then I'll give us some instructions for dismissing. Dear Father, take this day's life into your keeping. Guide all our thoughts and feelings. Direct our energies and instruct our minds. Sustain our will. Take our hands and give us the skill to serve you. Take our feet and make them quick to do whatever you ask. Make this day and this week to be obedient to you, to be filled with joy and peace. Make our work to be part of the work of your kingdom, our Lord Jesus. So Father, bless us as we go from here. If you've got children, we've got children's classes in the second hour. The youth will be meeting in the youth building. And if you're not serving, we um, ask that you join us in the cafe time. Come and connect and just meet some new people and spend some time together. So be blessed and have a great week.